When I'm making my paintings, I can't think about Alice Neal too directly. Because I love Alice Neal's work so much that if I was focusing too directly on Alice Neal's work and the creation of my own work, that I think it would just completely invade my work. The same goes for Van Gogh. They're two very special artists that I have to kind of continue to study, but sort of compartmentalize because the influence is so direct and so potent. There's a show on at the Met currently of Alice Neal, so I thought it would be a good time to publish an interview with Alice Neal from 1978. She is a self-proclaimed collector of souls. Uh, the American painter Alice Neal, 1900-1984, is known today for her powerful, psychologically rich portraiture. She depicted a wide range of subjects, from her family and friends to prominent critics, artists, activists, and strangers she met on the street. Obviously, I love that picture that Alice Neal did of Andy Warhol with his shirt off that shows his scars. And there's a number of other portraits that she made that have been um, influential in many ways to my painting practice and other painters that I know. I've discussed Alice Neal with several prominent painters. In fact, I called a painter up who was in a car driving to Texas to see an Alice Neal show. That's how much of a fan they were. And I think their Whitney retrospective was on while they were driving to see an Alice Neal show. Anyways, I digress. But here's an interview with Alice Neal from 1978. It's the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. Visit us on the web at whitehotmagazine.com. One of the reasons I painted was to catch life as it goes by, uh, right hot off the griddle. Because besides painting specific people and painting all the happenings, after all, I represent the 20th century. I was born in 1900, and I've tried to capture the zeitgeist. When painting or, or writing are good, it's taken right out of life itself, to my mind, and, and put into the work. Now, that doesn't mean that the work has to tell about real life. I mean, it can be abstract or anything. But the vitality is taken out of real living and put into the creative uh, project, whatever it is. It's where that head should be. High, I guess. The first time I sat in front of a canvas, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Now turn your head a little away. That's a little more away. In life itself, I never knew what I wanted to do because in a way it was all wrong for me. Even when I was little, my mother would say, do you want cocoa or coffee or tea? And I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what I wanted. I didn't care. That was it. I lived in a small town. I hated it. Do you know what benighted little towns are like? Oh, I used to sit on the front porch and try to stop my heart from beating. 
and my blood from circulating. I was so bored. There was everything in that town but an artist and a writer because a young man even exposed himself at a window there, but there was no writer to write about it. And the pear blossoms looked beautiful in the spring, but there was no artist to paint them, you know. Only me and I wasn't grown up yet. My mother was a salvation for me. She knew all about the theater, music, literature. She didn't know about art, but she was not against art. She died in 54. She was 86 then. The reason I did this of my father was not that I was morbid. I knew I'd just never see him again. And I had no portrait of him. And also, he looks, uh, he doesn't even look 82. He looks very peaceful and sleep. Harold Rosenberg thinks this, this is one of my greatest paintings. I have one of his brother dying of cancer, you know. And he said to me about that one, you can't look death in the face. But I did look death in the face. From 21 to 25, I went to a school called the Philadelphia School of Design for Women, which was a girls' school. I deliberately went to a girls' school because I didn't want to be distracted by boys. I was a very good-looking girl, so my whole life was disrupted by men. I never knew what to do about them. Oh, I did really know. <laughs> I went in the summer to uh, Chester Springs. That's the Academy Summer School. And I met this handsome Cuban, Carlos Enriquez de Gomez who I married June the 1st, 1925. I went to Havana, Cuba. I had just gotten out of the Philadelphia School of Design for Women. This was painted in 1926. He was very much a Spanish grandee. His father was the uh, big doctor in Havana. He was an artist too. So we, were in the, we went out in the streets of Havana. We uh, paid these two to pose for us. We were out, were living outside of Havana in the suburb, La Vibra. And this woman came around with a little girl and posed for us. I had a child in Havana. And then we came to New York and she died there of diphtheria. Carlos went to Havana and the family were going to give us money to go and live in Paris. But meanwhile, the depression had hit. So when he got there, they didn't want to give it to him. His friends told him he was a genius that was ruining his life, being a petty bourgeois with families and all that. They bought him a ticket for Paris, these artist friends of his. So he wrote to me from Paris. Now, I, knowing the type Carlos was, since he was just a rich boy, he didn't know how to make a nickel, you know. I knew that he was just in Paris, that's all. So I had an apartment on um, Sedgwick Avenue, and I worked all summer. I painted like mad. I never produced so many paintings. But instead of being able to do anything about all my art, I had a nervous breakdown instead.
I moved from the village to West 17th Street. Uh, this uh, is the uh, 9th Avenue L, and they're the typical unemployed standing on the corner. I met this poor chap, I think late in 31. He was carrying some lumber in the village. He had nothing, of course. Uh, it's, it's not a specific person or anything. It's just, well, it's a symbol of the Depression because that's all people could afford then, a cup of coffee. That snow scene is 33. The reason I made such a cheerful picture, I had a letter from the Whitney Museum, and I went over there and they said, how would you like to paint for $30 a week? And I said, oh, I'd love it. I had to hand in a picture every six weeks. That's Kenneth Fearing, who was a poet of those days, and he lived near the 6th Avenue L, those people across the bottom are the characters out of his poetry. The night before, his wife went to a hospital and had a little boy. He said to me, why don't you take that Fauntleroy out of my heart? But the reason I put it there was that even though he wrote ironic poetry, I thought his heart bled, you know, for the griefs of the world. And then the other one is Audrey McMahon that was the, the head of the working art project. I suppose she did her best, but you know, like all heads of things, nobody liked her very much. I did that from memory. And John Flanagan, who was the head of my branch of the Easel Project, he told me I should show it and call it the portrait of a lady after that novel of Henry James. But the fact is, I've never shown it. I don't feel either that there is definite female painting, you know. I don't think you could tell a man's painting from a woman's painting. I don't think there's an iconography that goes especially with women. In fact, some man on the WPA, he was a Puerto Rican, I think, he said, oh, Alice Neal, the woman that paints like a man. But I, I told him, look, I don't paint like a man, I paint like a woman. But I just don't paint China or something. Not that that's despicable either. I don't think that's despicable. That was just being anti-woman to think that painting China was uh, despicable, you know. I think what I was trying to do, too, is get away from the uh, soda cracker quality of America. I lived in Harlem for 25 years, Spanish Harlem. Carlos, the TB case. I painted this in 1940. Statistically, Spanish Harlem had the highest TB rate of any place in the city. This was a young man about 23. He's still living. He recovered. And over there are his family, his wife, a very courageous woman, and three of his children. I think he had five altogether. The two boys in the street were done in 55. I wanted to show the environment plus the people that were living there. The two little girls at the top, that's 1959. Uh, when I painted James Farmer, he loved this painting. I painted his two daughters. He owns that now, you know. Oh, Georgie, Georgie Arcy. I had a boxer dog in those days. In 55, I did this. I met him out in the street, and he said, can I come and play with your boxer? So I did a whole series of Georgies. 
very smart, but he was so proud he wouldn't even let them know that he couldn't read and write. And they had so many pupils in a the class, they couldn't concentrate on one little boy, you know. He had more than usual intelligence, but he also saw that the thing in, in this country was to have money. He got to mixed up, I suppose, with some gangsters. He's in jail now. He's in Attica. But he still writes to me. You have yourself, and that's a first premise. And then you have the world. And if the world changes, of course your vision changes in a sense with the times. It isn't just that I'm older, it's that, that people also are different. Maybe, maybe I have changed also, I don't know. These men uh, really fought for what they thought would be a better world. By now, especially this generation, uh, we don't know maybe what a better world is. I don't know. But anyway, that's what they fought for. Oh, on the floor over there is Bill Mackay, who organized the Ford plant. He was a wonderful person. He was a Scotsman, very intellectual, not like a labor leader here, not rough or tough or anything. He doesn't look it, do you think? The Ford plant was one of the last places to be organized. Then this is Pat Cush, who organized steel. He worked in a rolling mill for about 40 years, and he told me that he felt that the Frick art collection was partly his, because I think Frick made his money with steel. And of course, James Farmer is later. When I painted him, he was marching in Mississippi. That's about 64. Art Shields, he got the evidence in the Mooney and Billings case that finally got them acquitted. This is uh, David Gordon who died in 73. He fought in the Lincoln Battalion in Spain and then he also fought in World War II and had many decorations. A very nice person. He was the head of the uh, cultural section of the Daily World. You see, art for me was more than a profession. It was also an obsession. And also, uh, uh, long before uh, they talked about being autobiographical, I was, and yet not completely, because there's aesthetics in my work also. It's not just autobiographical. Although I can't see why, if Velasquez was around the royal family and painted them, I can't see why I can't be around my own family and paint them. These are my sons, Hartley on the left and Richard on the right. Richard's father was a Spanish nightclub entertainer, and uh, Hartley's father was a Russian filmmaker. That was painted in 1950. That's Richard, Richard uh, in 69. He's uh, a lawyer, and there he seems to me sort of captured by the establishment. Although I said that to John Kennedy, the critic, and you know what he said? Well, there could be worse fates. And I said, you know, given the world as it is, I suppose there could be. And that's Hartley, who's two years younger, when he was a uh, medical student at Tufts. This is Hartley's wife, Ginny. And they have one little girl, Elizabeth. 
She rode horseback a lot when she was little. <laughs> that may be one reason for this pose, you know. This is my daughter-in-law, Nancy, Richard's wife. That's Nancy's first child, Olivia. She's wonderful, Nancy. She's my best friend, you know. If it wasn't for Nancy, I couldn't exist. And she also, she's a great judge of art. I'd rather have her opinion than uh, any uh, art historian or art major. She's here all the time, you know, it's wonderful. She only lives seven blocks away, so she saves my life. I don't look clever like this, so I look as though I'm struggling. You think of it as hard work? Well, it's easier for me now to accomplish more faster than it was. On the other hand, I don't really have as much strength. But certainly, if you do something for a number of years, you can do it better. Or if you can't, it means there's, you're in the wrong profession or there's something the matter with you. <laughs> One day, I was walking down Madison Avenue, and I spied a lady in this beautiful orange hat. So I tried to catch up with her, but she went into a bank. So I followed her into a bank. So I said, would you let me paint you now? I don't usually do this. I only did this maybe one other time with a taxi driver. And she said, yes, if God will let me. So then she called me up about a week later, and she said God would let her. So I painted her. Later, I met her on Madison Avenue, and we went into, I think Schraff's was still there. We had a Sunday together. I said, like Chichikov, I'm a collector of souls. Actually, I meant all these different kinds of people. You see, Cezanne once said that he loved to paint people that had grown old normally in the country. Now, I wouldn't mind painting those people, but I really love people under all kinds of stresses also, you know. I'm frankly a psychological painter because life does a lot of things to people. And also, when I finish a painting, I also sometimes feel another way. You see, I get terribly involved so that I leave myself and I go into that person. So sometimes after the person goes, I feel just as though I have an empty inside, that I have nothing inside. If I didn't paint all the time, I probably wouldn't live. That's what keeps me alive, because, you know, you feel weary every once in a while. It's hard to start, and it's hard to stop. It's one of those things, you, there's momentum in it, you know. Once you start, it's very hard to stop. I never stop for long, but I don't paint every day like people go to an office. I just, I paint it in, uh, well, in batches, sort of, you know. 10 or 12, and then maybe I rest for a few weeks, and then again. I like to paint. I love to paint, in fact. I feel as though I'm living for a purpose, you know, that life isn't just empty. Actually, I painted in obscurity for years and years, 
You know, I used to think the important thing is that you do a good painting. So I didn't care what happened to it afterwards. I often just put it on a shelf. But they took a lot of paintings off the shelf and put them in the Whitney, and then they gave me that great big show down in the uh, Museum of Modern Art in Athens, Georgia. And in 1976, they made me a member of the uh, Institute of the uh, American Academy of Arts and Letters. Maybe I should sing something. Follow White Hot Magazine on the web. It's www.whitehotmagazine.com. You can follow White Hot Magazine on Instagram and Twitter, and you can follow Noah Becker on Instagram. Have a wonderful afternoon. See you around the art world. <laughs>